0: We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. The wait is finally over. DraftKings has brought legal sports betting right here to Colorado. And just imagine how much more fun watching a game is going to be when you have a little bit of skin in the game. Best way to get in on this action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. This isn't some offshore operation like... I don't know, other gambling sites. DraftKings is a legitimate sports book based right here in the U.S., so you can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever. You don't even have to leave your house. And luckily for us, we don't even have to wait that long for a major sporting event to bet on with UFC continuing to bring us action. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget, under the code DNVR, get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700. All right, joining us today, we have a special guest, Colorado State alum and currently a Colorado State broadcaster, Jenny Kavnar. How's it going, Jenny?
1: Good, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: It's, it's great to have you. Uh, Jenny's on a tight schedule, so I'm going to jump right into things. Normally, I'd do more pleasantries and stuff like that. But anyways, I'm curious, you know, when you come up to CSU now, obviously so much has changed. You were a freshman back in 2000. Does it even feel like the same campus when you're up there now?
1: God, you have to remind me that was twenty years ago. What the? <laughs> um, no, it doesn't feel like the same place. I think the story I always like to tell is when I was moving into the dorms to Corbett Hall um, that fall of two thousand. My parents were with us, and um, we, you know, we walked in, and my dad's kind of looking around the room, and he goes, "Yeah, it looks about the same as when I lived here." Which, of course, he went to college about 30 years before me. So um, that's how Corbett Hall looked when I went there. And now you drive up and you don't even recognize where Corbett Hall is because the exterior is so different, but the whole campus is. And I think that's so cool. And that's kind of where the pride lies. And, you know, and, in, in having been there is thinking of all the ways that the, the university and the community have built themselves and continue to build themselves and um, continue to do great things. And um, I think the football stadium is a great example of that too, just being right in the middle of campus. And one of the first things to greet you as you're driving up um, onto campus there, it's, it's pretty unique and it's pretty special.
0: You know, you bring up the the football stadium. Do you miss Hughes at all? Cuz part of me kind of misses the atmosphere from Hughes. I know I think it'll be better when CSU starts winning again and like there'll be the excitement around the on campus stadium. But these last couple of years I've kind of been a little I've been reminiscing a little bit and missing like the parking lot and the tailgating and and just the whole vibe.
1: Yeah, the nostalgia for sure. I think um, again, like for me, the memories I'll hold memories so dear to my heart from Hughes, because that's where I began my broadcasting career. I was working with Rich Berkham and Brian Roth on the Colorado state sports network radio broadcast. And, you know, it was at Hughes. And so all those memories, the sights, the sounds, Sunny Lubick, like, The Bradley Van Pelt era and all of the the great memories and moments, they will lie in the backdrop of Hughes stadium. And so you're right. I think it will take, I think it will take winning and take new moments on the field to make the new stadium feel just as homey as Hughes did for all of us that grew up going to games there and watching games there. Um, but Getting to go to the new stadium as a fan, I will say the amenities are just second to none, and it's so beautiful, and to have campus right there, and if you take the time and walk around, there is plenty of tailgating going on, and there are plenty of activities happening before the game. Um, it's It's just not as raw and real as we had it at Hughes Stadium.
0: I think that's a good way to put it there. It's definitely out there. I don't want to like undersell the atmosphere because I think the on-campus stadium was necessary and it's, it's obviously gorgeous. Like you brought up, um, is it, is it hard to cover games and like come at it in an, in an objective way or have you been doing it for so long now that it's just kind of second nature?
1: Yeah. You mean like when I'm doing a CSU game? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's something that, obviously I've been so close to university for so long and, um, having started a broadcasting career there and obviously working, you know, for the home of the Rams radio network, you, you definitely wear your green and gold shades, but I think one of my first jobs out of college, you know, working in college athletics, you just appreciate the pageantry of it and both sides of the story and being able to kind of report down the middle. And I think having grown up as a, as a, College student in the Mountain West Conference, I really love the conference as a whole so much. And so to get to remain covering the conference, um, it's easy for me to report down the middle. I'm so far removed from the student athletes that are there now. Of course, I'll always bleed green and gold, and I think everybody knows that. And you know, you root for the Rams, but yeah, when I'm calling a CSU basketball game, um, I'm also calling it for the team that that they're playing that day, and I have a great respect for the coaches um, in the league. And just you know, speaking on the basketball terms because that's really what I cover for the Mountain West Conference now. Um, and you know, you you root for good people, and there's a lot of good people in the Mountain West. So um, for me, it is pretty easy now. But um, I would say even early on in my broadcasting days, I think in 2004, 2005, I was doing the women's lacrosse championships and CSU finally made it in and those were a lot of my old teammates and I'm the analyst for this game and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh like I have to really separate myself from like teammate Jenny that was just with them a couple of years ago and wanting them to win this so bad to like okay I know a lot of information about these um athletes but I'm just going to share it as factual information
0: so I don't think I mean, I know the in the collegian article a couple years back, uh, it referenced how you played club lacrosse at CSU and then coached at UCLA, but I don't think that's something that's necessarily, you know, like commonly known. Do you miss your lacrosse days at all?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think um it was something, you know, lac- lacrosse was really new, newer in Colorado when I was growing up. I didn't yeah. pick up a stick and start playing until Um, the end of eighth grade. And really my first competitive time playing was in high school when I went out to the high school team. So um, I'm so old that we played with wood lacrosse sticks and (laughs) we wore like actual kilt skirts that are like Scottish kilts. And uh, we didn't have eyewear, protective eyewear. So um, that's how the game started. By the time I got into college, my senior year of college, we were wearing protective eyewear. Um, the uniforms were a little bit more sleek and those sticks were super light, (laughs) like titanium. So, uh, very, very different change in the game over the course of those eight years of playing. But, um, I think right out of school, I got into broadcasting and, um, I had an opportunity to, um, move to Los Angeles and that's kind of where I intersected back with the lacrosse community. And at that time in California, it was really the the movement, the grassroots movement that had happened here in Colorado when I was in middle school. And so it was really fun to get to be on the other side of that and start to promote the game. And I was working for a club lacrosse company down in the South Bay in Hermosa Beach. And we were playing lacrosse on the beach. We were teaching kids how how to throw and catch on the beach. And just the lifestyle of Southern California and lacrosse merged so well. And I think a lot of kids um, that learned the game and started to grow the game. And a lot of influencers were influencers of the game from the East coast were moving out there, um, really helped grow the game. So it was fun to be a part of that movement. Um, and then to get a coach as a young person. I mean, I was still probably only 23, 22, 23 when I was coaching at UCLA. So it really gave me this feel of like understanding the college student athlete and being able to connect with them. Um, I, I really wanted to get into broadcasting full time. So I did eventually have to, you know, make, make a choice at some point, but, um, I think I miss it. I, I miss the game. I miss being close to it, but I miss competing. I mean, that's what every athlete misses, you know, and as a coach, you got to do that too in game planning and getting to kind of live that out through, through the athletes that you're coaching. So yeah, I miss that whole scene for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I made the right choice. And I'm really glad that I was able to advance my broadcasting career.
0: Definitely. And I think a lot of Rockies fans w- would agree with you. You made the <laughs> right choice there. Uh, but before you worked for the Rockies, obviously, you worked for the Padres and and Bud Black when he was there, which I think is kind of funny. But, you know, what do you remember most about your days in San Diego and, and getting your start there?
1: Yeah, I think, again, like getting hired in 07, so... Um, I was driving down from Los Angeles because I was still, you know, coaching UCLA and doing some TV stuff up there. And I was driving down for this interview that my agent had set up for me. And really, I didn't understand the grasp of like what the job would be because growing up in Denver, obviously, we had the Rockies on TV, we had Fox Sports Net, but there wasn't the regional sideline reporter for Major League Baseball like there is nowadays. And that was really kind of their first attempt at it in San Diego. I mean, they'd had a few people before that, but um, it was just kind of starting t- starting to grow. Regional networks were starting to get more games. They were starting new magazine shows um, around the team. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. All the jobs I'd interviewed up until this point, we're really more, you know, local TV station, anchor type jobs, reporter type jobs. So sitting in this interview um, with the guy that became my boss, you know, keeps asking me about baseball and what I know about baseball. And, um, you know, if I knew how to keep score and I was just like, yeah, I mean, like I, I didn't, who doesn't know how to keep score? You know, I grew up with a dad that was a high school baseball coach. So That was just kind of second nature in our world. And I'm starting to realize through this interview, like, oh, like baseball is really kind of a niche thing to Mm -hmm. know on that type of level. And um, as we were just talking about the game, you know, I think he really sensed a passion that I had for it. And it wasn't until... Um, The first series that I had covered was the Padres and the Dodgers, which again, in Southern California, huge rivalry. And I'm standing on the field and you can just feel the energy in the crowd and I'm getting ready to do my first pregame hit. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this is my job. Like, I get to be at the field every day, on the field every day, interviewing players before the game, after the game. Like, this is what I was made to do. This is incredible. And I guess I'll just never forget that day and the excitement of that day. And then when I look back on the five years that I spent in San Diego, it was really, they were some of the best years of my life. I mean, huge growing up years for me personally and professionally, Um, getting to do it with a manager like Bud Black. I mean, I feel so lucky and I feel so lucky that it's round two and, you know, he's come back. To manage the Rockies because he has such a great relationship with the media. He's one of the best storytellers I know. His memory of this game and all the levels that he's been involved with, all his relationships that he has in the game, um, they're just so impressive. And I really respect him um as a person, as a manager, as a baseball guy. And so it's really fun uh to get a talk baseball with Bud. you know, every day at the ballpark. And so I, I appreciate that about my early days. And then also just some of the players that I got to cover. I mean, you're talking about Jake Peavy, one of Cy Young in 2007, which was amazing. Greg Maddox was on that pitching staff, David Wells to get to be in the clubhouse with guys like that. And, you know, learn from some of the best pitchers in the game was really cool. And then the Padres had some really lean years when I was there and it grew, it made me grow as a reporter because you had to still find a story. You had to bring your A game every day for 162 games, even if the team had, you know, only won a small percentage of those. So it made me learn how to be a good storyteller, I think, and that obviously paid dividends when I came to Colorado in 2012, and the team wasn't very good. Um, And you know, everyone always likes to talk about 17 and 18 when the Rockies went to the postseason for back to back years for the first time in franchise history. And, you know, they, they kept saying like, yeah, our bosses would keep saying, or people at work or fans are like, Oh, you guys do such a great job. It's amazing. Like, you know, you're having so much fun. I'm like, yeah, we are having fun, but like, it, you know, you know, what's awesome is looking back at how hard it was to do TV each and every day, sometimes in 12, 13, 14, and how it really just made this huge payoff for those great seasons of baseball that we got to actually, you know, talk baseball and work on our shows in that regard and not have to like dig deep, um, for, for some extra stories to kind of get through this season. So, um, long, long roundabout way to say that losing for the Padres in San Diego taught me a lot.
0: (laughs) I think that's a good point. Like when I very first got into student media, football was doing really well. Basketball was doing pretty well under you, Stacey. And then, so I got to cover all this winning and it's like, this is great. Like, this is so easy.
1: easy. (laughs) And then I tried
0: to create my own site and CSU football goes three and nine and basketball (laughs) wins like nine games. And it's like, Oh God, this is, this job's a lot harder now.
1: It is. It's a lot more challenging, but, um, You know, I'm really proud of those years. I'm really proud of the fact that um, we found a way to keep fans interested in teams that maybe weren't that interesting in terms of wins and losses, but um, they're still all people at the end of the day. And if you can, you know, find what makes them tick and find their story and make sure you get it out there, I think that's how you keep fans around.
0: I got to talk about my friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge, the official beer of DNVR. Right now, you can get Breck's 15-can sampler delivered right to your door. Make sure that you tag us and tag Davidson's when you deliver through them. Davidson's always has the best offers. I look at the app for deals of the day. You can request, request products to be ordered into the store. And like I said, tweet at us when you go. Supporting our partners is supporting us download the davidson's app today and get their loyalty program you're not going to want to miss out uh, you can always get breck delivered to you through drizzly as well just so many ways to support breck and ridge brewery i actually had a couple of strawberry skies over the weekend it's starting to get warm starting to get to that time where you're going to want you know something crisp something refreshing strawberry sky is definitely that uh, the other thing that i want to talk about before we jump into that next interview is WGT Golf. WT, WGT Golf is not only the most popular golf game in the world, it's the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download WGT and join the DNVR Clubhouse by going to dnvrgolf.com. This is the most realistic free golf game, I loved by more than 20 million players around the world. We've got tournaments going like every weekend. I, I honestly am struggling, I'm not very good. But that's what this summer is all about. I'm going to get good at golf in real life, hopefully, and get good at golf online through WGT. Much love to them. Download and play today and make sure that you join the DNBR Clubhouse. I have to ask you about Drew Goodman because he's just been like synonymous with Colorado sports my entire life. Like, I've watched him call. I don't even know probably 2000 Rockies games in my life and all the college football and college basketball, you know, what, what has it been like working with him? Has he been a mentor of yours? Um, I I just don't really know him that well. So, so what's working with him like?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you said he's been synonymous for your whole life with Colorado sports because probably mine too. And you hate (laughs) when I say that because uh, he doesn't think he's that old and he's really not. But growing up for me watching the Nuggets was Drew Goodman calling the Nuggets, you know, and then professionally, I got to know Drew, um, probably first when I was in San Diego and when the Rockies crew would come, um, to San Diego to play the Padres, I got the chance to kind of get to know them more and hang out with them. And, um, you know, Drew's boys all played baseball and Drew knew my dad and, um, in the high school baseball scene world. But, I just getting to work with Drew, it's so, it's so impressive to work with somebody of that caliber. I mean, he, I feel like Drew can, can look at a note and read something quickly. And it's just in the back of his mind that he can pull out at any given moment. Um, he, you know, he is very talented as a play-by-play person. And I think people, you know, that are, that are talented, you have to look at their careers and drew has done the Rockies for so long. But as I mentioned, you know, he did the nuggets before that he's done a lot of NFL and college football. I mean, his depth and knowledge of sports crosses boundaries and or crosses borders. And I think that's what makes him so great. And he's so versatile. Um, he's a great storyteller and um, it's just, it's been a real privilege to get to work with him for the past nine seasons and to learn under him. I mean, you know, there's times when I'm watching a game and it's Drew's voice in my head still dictating that game because, again, he's been a voice of me watching and then of me working for so long.
0: Literally, like when I see a home run, the like the, what comes to my head is take a good look, you won't see you won't it for see long, it for just long. because yeah. I've heard it so many times in my life. Yeah. But also, you know, for you being the first, you know, female play by play commentator in baseball, like that, that had to be such a big deal. And and you had your own call, fire up the fountains. How did you come up with that? Was it what, spur of the moment? Did you practice it?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know. Anytime you're around a press box for a long time, it'll, the conversation will eventually come around to like, oh, if you if you could call a game, like, what would your home run call be, right? And, um, it's kind of a joke like Thomas Harding and and Patrick Saunders, you know, kind of have their own silly calls that they do. And, um, so we talk about it here and there, and then all of a sudden it came truth telling time for me. I mean, I really didn't have one that I would joke about even. And, it was a Sunday at the ballpark when they let me know that I'd be calling the game the next Monday. So now during this game on Sunday, a day game, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's my home run call going to be? Corey Sullivan and I are sitting in the press box and we're talking back and forth. And um, I'd kind of run some ideas off him. And finally, it just hit me like Charlie Blackman hit a home run in the Sunday game, and I'm watching like the fountains come up. And my original thing I said it wasn't fire up the fountains; it was something else. And we were kind of spitballing, all of a sudden it came out. And Corey just stopped, and he's like, "Yep, that's it." <laughs> so he kind of knew what it was going to be beforehand, which was fun. But I didn't tell Huey, I didn't tell Jeff Houston, I didn't tell Ryan Spielberg's and that's who I was calling the game with. So their reaction to it was kind of funny. It was just more uh, of such a big buildup amongst our production crew of what it would actually be um, when it came out. Um, you know, they were kind of shocked and excited at the same time.
0: Well, first of all, congratulations. I mean, I've told you in private before, but obviously I'm a big fan of, of your work and I thought it was just, you know, amazing that you got to do that opportunity. And I think you made a lot of people, you know, kind of recognize that they do have a path in sports. And the reason I bring it up is, you know, there was a, a quote in, in the Collegian article that they wrote about your career to broadcasting a couple of years ago. And you talked about how watching Monday Night Football, you know, and and I got to look up the name here. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on her. Um,
1: oh no, Melissa Stark. Yeah, Melissa
0: Stark. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, no, you know, you, know y- you got to see someone like yourself, but now you are that person that, you know, young people growing up and they get to see you on TV. Do you think about that? Or is that, I mean, that's kind of a lot of pressure.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. First and foremost, I mean, I appreciate it. It's been, it's been quite a journey and I feel very blessed to have been in in a position and have had the opportunity um, with the decision makers. I mean, ultimately that's what it was. It was my colleagues starting with Spilly and, and Corey saying like, you got to do more. Like you can talk baseball with us. You know, we enjoy being on the pre and post game show with you, but like there's more for you and even planning that seed. And then, um, you know, producers saying like, we're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. You're going to be the person to do it. Uh, We have a unique group of people. Drew doesn't take a lot of games off when he does like, let's look internally with our group here and how we can keep it together. Um, And so to even be in that conversation and have them trust me with that position um, was pretty cool. And then I think, again, it's just looking back at you know, all the steps along the way, the fact that I grew up on a baseball field, my dad was a high school baseball coach, how we talked about baseball, how I saw a baseball game, um, the experiences that I got in San Diego, leading them in my experiences here, like it all kind of just built up towards this moment. And then again, to be in the right place at the right time with people who trust you to put you out there, um, it it does feel like a huge responsibility, but at the same time, it feels like a necessary movement forward, as you mentioned, to kind of open the doors for the next generation of people. And I do take that seriously. And there are times when I feel like I could have just said, like, I'm not ready. I don't want to call this game. And maybe I'll never be ready. But I didn't get the reps in the minor leagues to call a game. I didn't know I wanted to call a major league baseball game because again, I'd never seen that that wasn't in front of me. So I'm hoping that the next generation does have the chance that if this is what they want to do, they can get the reps properly. They can move into that position and we're seeing it in the minor leagues. I think, um, in the last couple of years, there's been five or six female voices doing play-by-play for minor league baseball. Um, and I think, I think that's pretty special. And I think that's really cool. And I hope that in 10 years we're looking around and maybe there's more females in, in positions in in baseball ops in the front office somewhere. And, you know, it, it's just about the growth uh, and the ambition to, to let other people know that, that these are options and they're out there. So, um, yeah, it's a cool position to be in and, and I don't take it for granted.
0: You know, obviously, in in our industry as a whole, there's always going to be a, a negative response or, or trolls and stuff like that. But I'm sure in your position, it's it's even more unique. But were you surprised at how positive the the feedback seemed to be as a whole? I mean, confident in your own abilities and stuff. I don't I don't want to make it seem like oh it was a surprise. Jenny killed it. But I just mean, like you were really popular.
1: You're right. I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest fear in anything you do is when you put yourself out there, you know, you're, you're opening the door to praise and to criticism. And so I I hope my authenticity showed in doing it, if that makes sense, to where, like, yes, I do have confidence, but yes, I also have a little humility. Like, again, I don't have practice at this, I don't know what I'm doing on a traditional sense, but I'm going to bring to the table what I know to be true and, and I'm going to bring to the table my true self. So I think people saw that in the process, and um, you know, I, I, I was appreciative for the support, and again, I think it wasn't just you know, having the support of fans, but it goes back to just that immediate support around you. I've always felt the support from my family, from my husband, their encouragement, but um, from my colleagues, especially to just be like, again, having that stamp of approval that this is what we're going to do. We're all in it together um, and let's let's go for it. That, that probably gives you the most confidence.
0: I know you're on a tight schedule here, so I'll wrap it up, but I, I did want to ask you, you know what it's been like these last couple months, not having baseball. I, I didn't. I didn't want to make the whole thing about you know like coronavirus and sports being canceled because we're all living it. We all get it. But what have you been up to?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I was trying to kind of evaluate how the last couple months have gone. Um, just the other day, I, I feel like I'm on this roller coaster, like everyone else at home is. You know, the the unknown, the like excitement of this free time that you've been handed and you're supposed to live every day to its fullest. And yet at the same time, like there's days where you're just really depressed and you miss doing what you love doing and you miss kind of whatever our normal was. And then there's everyone telling you, Um, on a big perspective of let's all remember what this amazing time feels like to have back and not rush back to our normal. And it's just all these like mixed messages where you're feeling, you know, kind of like, what was this? What did we just go through? What What is this tornado been? But for us, I was calling the Big Sky Women's Basketball Tournament in Boise, Idaho when Sport stopped, and I actually had just gotten done on a Wednesday night calling two semifinal games that were great basketball games with fans in the stands. And I woke up 12 hours later to not only college basketball tournaments being canceled, but the NCAA tournament being canceled and eventually spring training being canceled. So all of that happened within six hours. And I was supposed to be um, flying, obviously, straight to spring training to finish out that and then start the season. So our world got shifted 180 really quick. Um, But I have really just been trying to enjoy the extra time at home with my two-year-old Vincent. Uh, He's crazy. Toddler life is nuts. It keeps us on our toes, but um, it's also really cool. I wouldn't have this much time at home with him in the months of uh, April, May and now approaching June (laughs) ever. So um, I am really trying to soak that up and we're trying to get some good family time in and um, get some stuff done around the house that never gets done. Uh, But at the same time, you know, we're I'm glued to the news. I'm waiting to hear when baseball is coming back and what's going to happen these are big historic moments in sports as well um, that that could really have a huge effect for the future of how these sports uh, operate. Not just on baseball's level, but you're talking about the you know NBA and NHL and um, so yeah, I'm waiting on pins and needles like everybody else. But I've also really uh, enjoyed the creative content that the sports scene has also been able to come up with during this time, and even the shift. I mean, I'm trying to look at it from a communication standpoint. And how we're going to talk about COVID-19 time and and all the things that had to change. And I think this really will be a turning point for our industry and how we shoot shows on some level and how um, we get things done. I don't think you're going to see people flying all over the country anymore. It can happen from your own house. And I think businesses outside of sports media are figuring that out too. So this will be a real cultural shift in how we operate. Um, that's something that I've been really thinking about that will come out of this quarantined time. I
0: think that's a really good point. Wow. Do you, uh, no, I just, uh, I I have all these thoughts now, but I know you're having tight schedules, so I don't want to jump into them, but I do have to bring up the tiebreaker game in 2007, which I know, Mm -hmm. uh, has nothing to do with anything that we talked about over the last 15 minutes or so, but I was at that game with my grandfather and I was like pretty close behind home plate. And it's like, it was the greatest sporting event that I've ever been to. I've been to AFC championship games. I've been to great college games, all kinds of stuff, but just like the excitement that Rockies fans felt. I'm curious, what was it like having to cover the losing team in yeah. a situation like that, where it's so deflating, so heartbreaking, especially after your, you know, like what you talked about earlier, the Padres yeah. were a really good team that year.
1: They were a really good team that year. And, um, you know, looking back at it, I was in the studio in San Diego and I remember in extra innings, watching the TV thinking, this will be so cool. Like I'll get to go to the postseason and cover a team. And then the other side of me being like, oh, really cool if the Rockies could win though. And for the hometown and go to the postseason. And I finally succumbed to that. And in my mind, And I think Bud's heard me say this, which he wasn't really happy about. But in my mind, I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll cover the postseason again. Right? Well... I didn't cover the postseason in my career until 2017. So that's that's how hard it is, I guess, to go back to the playoffs. And the Padres haven't been to the playoffs since 2006. So they lost their shot on that one. But um, yeah, one of the greatest games, I actually just rewatched it recently. Um, we aired it on Rockies Classic and I was doing some live tweeting. And I had not seen that game in its entirety from start to finish since 2007. So almost 13 years later to watch it. It, what, a, what a game. I mean, I think any any baseball critic could watch that, and they should put that in one of the top five games of all time. If that was the Red Sox-Yankees, that probably would have been the best game ever played totally. in the history of baseball. Um, but the fact that it was in Colorado and the fact that it was uh, just the sleepy Padres and Rockies, it, it won't go down as one of the top five. But really, it had all the drama the the comeback the back and forth I mean even the fact that Garrick Atkins hit a home run in that game <laughs> thank you
0: it shouldn't have ever even came down to it
1: <laughs> that's what we should be talking about not about if Matt Holiday touched home plate um so which he totally yeah.
0: did uh, he, <laughs> I know you probably can't say because you and Bud were on the Padres side at that point but he touched I, home honestly, plate
1: I don't know though I mean so many other things happen Michael Barrett dropped the ball but yeah, if he hadn't a touched home plate, he probably still needs to touch it. I, I think Matt, he will never say the words, I did not touch home plate, but I think in interviewing Matt Holiday about it several different times, you can tell that he has no idea. And he really was like pretty, I don't know if he ever was like diagnosed with a concussion, but he was clearly pretty out of it at that point. Um, but like like we said, the game could have ended several different moments. Um, but you know, that's how it ended. And it it was one, one for the books.
0: I don't even think the umpire knows if he touched home plate, to be honest, because you could see he freezes (laughs) that like second and a half in between him sliding and the umpire just like standing there was the longest second and a half of my life. Just being like,
1: is he safe or not? (laughs) I think it was everyone's (laughs) (laughs) time.
0: Well, Jenny, thank you so much for doing this. It was an honor to have you on and I, like many people, miss seeing you on TV every day. And I hope we get a little bit of baseball back at some point. I know things are kind of complicated with the negotiations and all that, but we just miss baseball.
1: We do too. So hopefully we'll see you guys on TV from a ballpark or at least talking about players in a ballpark really soon. Exactly.